0: informative
1: hello and welcome back to witches bitches and dead people i'm jamie hearn and today i'm so excited to stir the cauldron with danielle Dulski. she is magical in every sense danielle is a heathen visionary aquarian mischief maker storyteller and word witch I mean, does it get any better than that? Seriously. As an author and founder of the Hag School, she believes in the power of wild collectives and sudden circles of curious dreams for healing our modern aches. Parent to two wildlings and partner to a potter, Danielle is the author of The Holy Wild Grimoire, a heathen handbook of magical spells and verses that I just can't wait to talk about today. Thank you for joining us, Danielle. Thank you so much for
0: having me, Jamie. I don't know if I've ever heard of a better podcast name.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my mission in life is to normalize all the things that have been marginalized about spirit and witches and energy and power. So this was the perfect medium. And you are like all of those things. So I'm really excited to talk about your book specifically. But let's talk about you for a second. Where did your connection to your inner power, your spirituality really start?
0: yeah that's a it's a big question right i think that um you know when we step back and we kind of behold the large the larger story of our lives we can see things that we might not otherwise see so i can really clearly see that it was important for me to have been raised pretty strict born again christian for the first I don't know, 12 or so years of my life. And then I was kind of on my own for a while. And when I turned 18, I moved to Ireland for a little bit where I was sort of on this accidental rite of passage journey and trying to reclaim some of my Irish heritage that had been lost for all sorts of reasons. And so that was probably the moment when I started really feeling like, oh, there's, there's something really important about otherworldly experiences that maybe not everyone else has. And so maybe there's a kind of uniqueness, maybe not in having the experience, but in being able to notice it and name it. So probably that was age 18. That was an important pivotal starting point in naming that magic was real. And then my 20s were spent sort of trying to find a teacher that made sense and having a lot of pretty brutal initiatory experiences. Like I know a lot of people's 20s are like that. And then uh, my 30s were spent largely recovering and healing from that and beginning to teach (laughs) the things that I had learned. And now I'm 42. And so I'm not really sure what this chapter is going to be yet. (laughs) We'll see. But all has been leading up to this.
1: (laughs) I think that the story really resonates. And I'm impressed that in your 20s, you had the capacity to recognize that you were looking for the teacher. Because oh, in yeah. my 20s, I was drinking a lot, having a lot of sex, doing a lot of stupid shit. Like, <laughs> oh, I was
0: doing that too. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in my early 20s. I was doing right. that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was, I think a lot of, uh, it might be a common experience to feel such like a bitter disdain for organized religion when you're raised in it. And then there's this big resistance to having a teacher that I think lasts a few years at least. Yeah. Um and then, but then you know, there there was so in me anyway, there was kind of a a really wanting to know everything that I could possibly know. <laughs> I'm kind of that sort of person, the knowledge devourer. It's like, what's love the it. one thing you would still do if you won the Uh, lottery, I would still probably go to school for the rest of my life or something. So I just like wanted, I wanted to be told what was real and what wasn't.
1: (laughs) All (laughs) while you're discerning it yourself.
0: I mean, trying. Yeah. I was also, I had babies in my twenties. So that added a whole other, you know, flavor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As it does. I mean, I found that my kids are my best teachers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of my big awakenings for witchcraft was I was uh, having kind of like the dark night of the soul um, that I think every new mother maybe has where you're kind of nursing your kid at three in the morning and you're just like the loneliest you've ever been in your whole life. And so I had this moment where I was like, well, I don't want him to have to hide who he is ever from the world or his people. And so why am I doing that? So, you know, that was when I sort of realized, like, I'm not going to scream that I'm a witch from the rooftops, but I'm not really going to hide my altar in the cabinet when people come over either. (laughs) I love it.
1: Yeah. My son was that that turning point for me, too. So I can so relate to that. Yeah. So all of these experiences and parts of who you are have come through in a really rich body of authorship from you. Um in the newest one, The Holy Wild Grimoire, it's awesome. How did you come up with that? Well, so
0: originally it was supposed to be a companion book to my first uh, my book in 2018 which was The Holy Wild A heathen Bible for the untamed woman and a lot of people love that one. <laughs> so I wanted to make a companion book for that, but then, you know, in really early on in the writing of the new book, The Holy Wild Grimoire, it was like I can't possibly. I am I am a completely different person than I was in 2017 when I wrote The Original right. Holy Wild. The world is a completely different place than it was then. <laughs> so, I'm sort of trying to write this companion journal and realizing, oh, this is just turning into its whole own thing it does it's not a companion journal really so yeah but you know th- so thinking about like what does the holy wild mean to me now versus what it meant when i wrote the holy wild a heathen bible which was written from such an intense place of rage in 2016 and 2017 and you know i'm still angry but <laughs> <laughs> point where I've you know burnt it's kind of like I've burned through a lot of the rage that I might call righteous and I'm in a place now and I think a lot of people are in a place now of being more in a kind of state of awe or like intentional awe that we get to be here for this really bizarre chapter in the world story (laughs) and not only that, but we're, che- we're choosing to claim the name, which some of us. So yeah. like you're here, you're claiming the name, which for this, why, you know? So that's what I've been sort of inviting people to consider in that new book. And of course, when I wake up every morning, considering like, why, which, why here, why now? So <laughs> right. every day a different answer.
1: How <laughs> does it fit? Where's it going? Like yeah. so many questions that. But- You know, the answers are unfolding for us. Yeah. Yeah. The the very first part of the book is called Love Letters on a Deathbed. Mm -hmm. That was fascinating to me. (laughs) Can we touch on that a little? Yeah.
0: Love Letters on a Deathbed. So it's, uh, it's still becoming incredibly apparent, but it has been pretty apparent in my family story that we have so many people that die at home, the grandparents die at home, the young people that die uh, unexpectedly, they seem to die at home. Uh, But there's, uh, not always, but often, there's a common experience throughout my history of somebody's in a home dying, an aunt or a grandparent, and there's sometimes a very long process, I mean, sometimes years, usually it's just a few months, of going to visit them there, like knowing that they're leaving and they know they're leaving. And there's this, you know, just sharing the pictures and sharing the stories and, and like grief and gratitude together in the room. Yeah. And I think I, like a lot of parts of our ancestral stories, we don't really, re- we think everybody has them and we don't really <laughs> realize like, oh, that's kind of unique to my story, (laughs) not that I'm the only one, but it does feel like a prominent piece that was stepping forward and wanting to be acknowledged. So I was thinking about that practice as being so beautiful, even though it's sad, and how if, you know, parts of our stories are kind of microcosms of the larger global underworld journey that we're all moving through right now. And so then what does that mean if there's so much of our world that's kind of Falling to bones, and you know, we were told the world was going to be a certain way when we were children, and now I think a lot of us are realizing that that is not the case, or the myths that we were sold when we were children are, are failing to fruit. Um, and so, how do we then leave love letters on the deathbed for the world that we either thought we wanted or thought we were going to get, and now we're realizing, like, you know this is a big, long story that we may not even see the end to in this incarnation. So how do we grieve well in order to hold space for whatever the renewal is going to be? So that was my kind of idea. And then like holding the tension of this mythic image of love letters sitting on a deathbed is just like a really potent image. So
1: It really is. And like, there's there's the romantic element of it and the the heartfelt grief element like that's what i really love about your work is it's so layered and rich in the complexion of the emotions that you convey and you really are the word witch i love it like i'm i don't know how much you know about me but i'm an attorney by education yeah so I spent a lot of time with words and I love when other people are so intentional and immaculate with their words. And that's you. Thank you. you. (laughs) So one other thing that I loved about the book, I mean, okay. I love the whole book. There's (laughs) established, but I like that you organized it around the five elements that was really powerful for me. So mm-hmm. give us a little insight into how that weaves into witchcraft.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the elements emerged as a, a lens that I was teaching through. So I was, I was looking for um, the few, I think there's just a few of what feel like universal lenses that regardless of what tradition you might subscribe to or whatever your ancestry might be, whether you're your hereditary witch or not like me, I am not. And so what's a common lens that we can all as humans, we are all of the earth. So what's a common lens that we can all kind of see through? And I found the elements to be really most potent one and i'm sure that that's because they're apparent in nature but also it seems like you know we all all of us no matter where you live in the world like earth is this cool um dense heavy stable element right and so that really translates across all borders and cultures and then water we all feel that a certain way fire we all kind of get what that is so the elements are something that I started teaching through and then when I started writing books I just translated it onto the page because I feel like it's a lens that most people can get and there aren't that many of them right Uh, There are there are so many things that bind us together as humans, but we tend to ignore it, especially when we're learning things and and trying to feel out what our witchcraft might be. But the elements feels like an accessible, common, shared experience.
1: Yeah, I I thoroughly agree with that, and it also is a universal experience that doesn't necessarily have a charge that's going to trigger somebody in, in most it. circumstances.
0: Oh, I'm sure there's people that would be triggered by certain elements. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean.
1: One of my favorite elements is fire. And you talk about that too, and and creating a kinship with fire. So would you share some more about that?
0: Yeah, I was just talking with somebody this morning about the fire element, weirdly. Um, It's not an everyday, every morning experience for me, but... Um, fire's the element that I will weave into a spell if I want, just like a look for me, if I want a little bit of sharpness or what I call the shock of the strange, I'm most personally, I'm most at home in the earth element. I'm comfortable there. I like it. It, You know, it it doesn't feel surprising to me, but Mm -hmm. sometimes we need like a little bit of sharpness in our spell work. So the fire element to me, fire being the original Oracle fire being like all of the elements but maybe at least for me like the most um pronounced in this way that it can it can heal it can be the source of life we need warmth if it's cold right or it can kill you so all of the elements are like that but for me fire seems the loudest in that duality like it's just so you can contain it and hold it like magic and it works really well or it can run rough shadow all over the land, right? So, yeah. So fire, fire is an interesting one for me, but I think all of the elements are like that, you know, like the, even the earth element could kill you. There's like an earthquake or landslide or mudslide or something, right? So there's always a necessary respect that we're wanting to invite in to our witchcraft with the elements. So even if you're working with, you know, a quartz crystal and it seems like it's a kind of fluffier easy nothing bad can happen thing. There's still <laughs> there still is this necessary reverence that you would have for even that crystal, right? Because it's of the earth. It's the bones of the earth and it could um, yeah, it has a it has a power to it.
1: Yeah, it does. I love that term necessary reverence.
0: <laughs> yeah. We take so much for granted. Me too but that like intentional awe is like a practice of like, I like to, like, just look around my room right now, uh, this room that I'm often in when I'm on on the screen or teaching or something, and I'm, like, surrounded by so many stories. I'm surrounded by all my weird things, and every single thing has, like, a bizarre story to it. So thinking about, like, even that can give you this this intentional sense of awe. Otherwise, I would just take everything for granted because I see all of these things every day, right? But... They all have this story. I could write a
1: novel about any object in this room. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Um, taking things for granted seems pervasive in much of the culture right now. So I love that you're you're calling attention to the things that are around us: the earth, water, you know, all of our favorite objects with that necessary reverence. I'm gonna start integrating that. I love it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's important. Like, can you, like, I always think, I'm an Aquarian, so I have bizarre thoughts a lot of the time. (laughs) And one of them that I often have is, you know, if an alien just landed right now and saw this, like, wouldn't they be stunned by this? I think about that all the time. Like, I live in this relatively built environment and everybody walks their dogs at the same time. And I always think about how weird it would be for, like, what do the aliens think about us, that we have these creatures on leashes and, like, all at the same time, we take them out? <laughs> right. They'd think,
1: oh, look how well trained they are. <laughs> yeah. These wild animals. <laughs> I'm yeah. fortunate enough to live in, in a pretty rural setting, so yeah. I also may find that to be unusual, seeing all of <laughs> All of the little ants walking their dogs at the same time.
0: Yeah, it is very strange. (laughs) And the dogs are also confused. (laughs) We have this, we have a cabin that's in a pretty wild place in upstate New York. And like, we always think, oh, we're going to, so we have this new puppy. And we're like, we'll train the dog on the leash in the wild place because then he won't get freaked out by the other dogs. Like he is here, but then we get there and it's like impossible. Like he's like a wolf when he's there and he's like, you're going to put a leash on me here.
1: (laughs) Right. Did you smell all of these new smells? Like seriously. Yeah. (laughs) Same experience. Totally understand. (laughs) So another thing in the book that you mentioned that I think was enlightening was that any spell of manifestation is also a spell of banishing. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah.
0: Um, So it comes down to thinking of you know, if if a witch is standing in front of, say, a blank canvas, I use this metaphor a lot, so I hope it makes sense to people because I say it a lot. So <laughs> if a witch is standing in front of a blank canvas and at that point, it's like that painting could become anything. Right. So she's standing in this place or they're standing in this place of just infinite potential, undistilled potential. As soon as the witch makes the first mark on that canvas and says, I am casting the spell for this house or I am casting the spell for this job or whatever, uh, or to heal this person, whatever that manifestation spell might be. They're then saying, I'm obscuring, concealing all other possibilities for what this painting could have been, right? So um, if I choose to cast a spell to move into a house, for example, I'm saying this house, I'm choosing that house and I'm then eliminating, I'm banishing all possibilities for moving into that house or that house or that house, right? At least at that time. So I think that that's sometimes where some people might get stuck is there's a sense of like, oh, if I'm banishing all other houses for all time, am I stuck here or something like that? And that's not what it is. It's like you're casting a spell in that moment. And so in that moment, you're concealing all other possibilities for what that spell could have been cast for. You're banishing the other possibilities. So almost always, I think we could make a list of 10 things that we want to banish from our lives, like fear of X, Y, and Z, or limiting belief or of certain relationship or name that we don't um, maintain anymore or role that we don't play anymore. We can make a list of those things. And then if we flip them, we would get a list of things that we want to manifest and vice versa. So, you know, sometimes, um, people would put banishing magic maybe under like a baneful magic category or there would be hesitation around it. And I just said this, I just said this morning, like, it's kind of like magical hoarding. Like when you only manifest things, like you do have to acknowledge that all of nature exists in balance. And so if you're manifesting something, something is leaving you. Otherwise, you know, we would just what swell forever and explode eventually.
1: <laughs> right, burst at the seams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a really interesting awareness that I honestly never took pause to evaluate how manifesting and banishing would have an interplay, but it does make sense when you explain it like that. Yeah. And I I have to giggle because when you mentioned you manifest this house and you foreclose all other houses. If it's for all time, like what if this house is terrible? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> so I understand why people are
0: hesitant to banish. Right. But it's like, if you're manifesting something, you are banishing things. Um, I know somebody that's actually going through that exact thing. You know, they worked very hard to manifest a new place to live. And it's not the right place. But their spell worked. (laughs) As they do.
1: They do. Witchcraft is real. (laughs) It entertains me when people put an intention out into the world, whether it's through the the form of a traditional spell or just their words, because we all know words are spells. um, And they get something unintended back. But it is what they asked for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They just like, didn't see it, it coming. I know. I, it's like, um, I tried to, in my, in my witchcraft, cause I think we're always trying to make sure like we don't, um, you know, want to manifest $10,000 and then we get hit by the bus and get $10,000. <laughs> like, we don't, we, we don't right. want that to happen. So I'm always trying to bind the intention to the inner feeling that I have when that spell comes to fruition. So if I'm saying $10,000 and I'm feeling abundant and grateful and whole and happy, that's probably going to ensure that I didn't just get hit by a bus. Right. Right. So yeah. So thinking about the feeling and not only the external uh, circumstances, which can we can arrive at what we want through any number of channels. So really trying to seal it in a way that it's way you want it to happen and not some
1: I love that that's (laughs) that's powerful um so we've talked about being a word witch and you mentioned word witchery can you explain that a little bit more to our listeners yeah so
0: I think that whatever your art is and everybody has one so dancing singing painting gardening having sex cooking like whatever your thing is that you like doing that when you do it it makes you feel like time moves differently for you you can kind of get lost in whatever your art is i think um and there's also a lot of moments of i call them feeling mind moments moments when you feel like the other world is kind of seeing you or something. Um, I think when you're engaged in your art, you're in that place of what the Irish would call eternal time, where you could just fall into fairy, the world of fairy, right? And be gone for generations and return and be like, where are all my people? (laughs) So um, whatever your art is, when you invite that into your witchcraft, and usually when you're raising energy in a spell, but of course doing it in different ways, you are then um, making the spell that much more potent. The spells usually amplified when the witch can put their art into it in some way. So mm. for me, writing has been my art for as long as I can remember. I always say like I used to write adolescent erotica when I was like 10 and 11 years old. Like as soon as I could write, I was like, I'm going to write sex stories. (laughs) (laughs) And so writing is for sure. It's something that I can really see. It's woven throughout my life story in witchcraft and other ways too. So I know that for me, that's my primary art. Um, And so when I started intentionally weaving it into not just spells, but also divination, I would really clearly see like, oh, there's something about this that seems to make a difference. And so, for example, if it's a manifestation spell, part of it will be me, I call it write it real, where I would describe that moment of the spell's fruition in present tense, as if it's already happening And in as much detail with all of my senses as possible. So if I'm casting a spell for that new house, I'm describing how I feel. I can see my hand turning the key in the lock. Um, I can smell the smells and hear the sounds of that moment. And I'm describing all of it as if it's a scene, you know, in a novel. And then that write it real would get folded up. And for me put in a spell jar or something like that as my energetic link to that moment. Um, But a lot of the word witchery that's in the new book, it's more about divination, which to me is actually cooler because it's, you know, it's you as witch proving to yourself that you already knew what you wanted to know. Right. So like, And it almost always works. And people will sometimes be like, wow, you're such a witch being able to do that. And I'm like, I could have said almost anything and it still would have worked. Right. It has nothing to do with me. So for instance, um, I could name some questions about like the house that I want to move into. Like, is this the right house? And, and should I be here? Or should I be there? Should I take that person with me or not? I name these questions that I might ask a psychic or an oracle or the pendulum or something like that. And then I'd write it real and I'd circle the parts. And this is what's in the book over and over again. I'd circle the parts of the writing that felt like I didn't, I don't remember writing them or it's a word that I wouldn't normally use. And it just feels like the other world was somehow writing through me. I'll circle those. And almost always what you circle is the answer to your questions that you asked in the beginning. So It's it just why does it work every time? I don't really know, except that, you know, your writing or your art opens a door to the other world. And, you know, artists have known that forever. So there's something about that. But um, using word witchery for divination is powerful. Yeah. Even for skeptical people.
1: And (laughs) even though we're all. Largely driven by linear logical thought, we don't need to know why it works. It works. It's the magic. (laughs) <laughs> just trust it. I know.
0: Um, I love, I love reading books about like metaphysics and like why spells work and like the science behind it, even though that's not where my brain is. So sort of like filling in a necessary gap in my knowledge. Um, I love reading about it, but I'm the same. I'm, I'm just what you said, like, I don't really, Does it, I don't want it to be less magical because i know exactly how it works i right. think the mystery is important right we have to keep these secrets from ourselves as witches sometimes <laughs> otherwise yeah otherwise what who are we <laughs>
1: but even though we already know the answers keep them secret it's yeah. perfect yeah um i could definitely like dig through this book with you like for hours it's so amazing Thank you. Um I do want to touch on some of the other offerings that you have for people who just need more Danielle in their lives. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I teach a lot virtually. Um, so my uh, one of my websites is thehagschool.com. So there's virtual covens. There's a lot of writing workshops. I teach writing and word witchery primarily, but we do also have monthly coven meetings and I have a word witch coven and... Yeah, sometimes we we just finished one, but sometimes we have seasonal non-retreats, is what we call them <laughs> online, which is me and some other Hag School teachers getting together and sharing our medicine. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty findable online all awesome. months except January. January, I'd like to go in my cave and think about my life for a little bit. <laughs>
1: As you should, you deserve any time to reprieve that you (laughs) desire. Yeah. Um, We will share some links to Danielle's website and definitely the link where you can find the Holy Wild Grimoire. Because it's magic. Everyone needs it in their lives. Um, I have ordered copies for quite a few friends because I just want to share it. I think it's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for sharing some space and time with us and chatting about the amazing depiction of witchery and witchcraft and word witchery. I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. Thanks for listening. See you next week on Witches, Bitches and Dead People. Peace and badass magic. Thank
0: you for listening to Witches, Bitches and Dead People with Jamie Hearn. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.